episode is sponsored by award-winning book, Spirit of the Woods, the story of a young woman's encounter with Bigfoot by James Allen Ross. Hey, boo things. It's your girl, Rebecca. And Lily. And you're listening to Jess Coolie Things. Ooh. We're back. We're better than ever. What's up, boo things? It's your girl, Rebecca and Lily. And you're listening to the spookiest, kookiest, ookiest podcast on all podcast streaming channels. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I had to change it up because it's been way too long since we've recorded an episode and we just need to spice it up. We haven't forgotten about you guys. Just Lily and I have been busy just in our personal lives. Um, I feel like we yeah. always have a lot of stuff going on at the same time. <laughs> like whenever we have downtime, we both have downtime. And then when we're both super busy, we're both super busy. Exactly. It's, it's, I'm, it's so crazy how like our lives are kind of different, but also so in sync. Yes. <laughs> that's like the best way to describe it. Honestly, we are talking about this week's episode topic, which is haunted royal castles, royal families, just a bunch of spooky, kooky, royal things going on this week. I'm so excited. Um, I got inspired to talk about this topic from uh, from a post that I posted on our Instagram. You can follow at Just Ghouly Things Podcast. Oh, and I was like, I feel like we've never talked about haunted royalty. I feel like that's something that we should have been talked about already. Because if any family's haunted, it has to be families and royalty that literally their bloodline can be traced hundreds, thousands of years. Like, yeah. how have we not done this? So um, I got right into researching this week. Um, so my topic is on the Windsor Castle. Ooh. So a little bit of information about the Windsor Castle for those that aren't familiar. Uh, it's a royal residence at Windsor in the English county of Berkshire. And it's strongly associated with the English and the succeeding British royal family, the very famous British royal family, and embodies almost mm-hmm. a millennium of architectural history. So a little background, yes. the, um, the original castle was built in the 11th century after the Norman invasion of England by William the Conqueror. And since the time of Henry I, it's been used by the reigning monarch and is the longest occupied palace in Europe to this date. And... Yeah, the castle's lavish early 19th century state apartments were described by early 20th century art historian Hugh Roberts as, quote, a superb and unrivaled sequence of rooms widely regarded as the finest and most complete expression of later Georgian taste. So that's pretty much rich, sophisticated talk for, like, this place is fucking dope. (laughs) This place is dope and it's old as fuck. Yeah. Uh, So... Originally designed to protect Norman dominance around the outskirts of London and to oversee a strategically important part of the River Times, the castle withstood a prolonged siege under the First Barons' War at the start of the 13th century. Henry III built a luxurious royal palace within the castle during the middle of the century, and Edward III went further, rebuilding the palace to make an even grander set of buildings and what would then become the most expensive secular building project of the entire Middle Ages in England. Um, Edward's core design lasted through the, t- the Tudor period, during which Henry VIII and Elizabeth I made increasing use of the castle as a royal court and the center for diplomatic entertainment. 
Uh, Additionally, Windsor Castle survived the tumultuous period of the English Civil War when it was used as a military headquarter by parliamentary forces and a prison for Charles I. And at the restoration of the monarchy in 1660, Charles II, there's a lot of people, rebuilt much of the Windsor (laughs) Castle with the help of the architect Hugh May, creating a set of extravagant Baroque uh, interiors. So after a period of neglect during the 18th century, George III and then George IV renovated and rebuilt Charles II's palace at at colossal expense, um, which produced a current design of the state apartments, uh, which has a bunch of different style furnishings. It's absolutely stunning. You guys can like check out pictures. You know, I'll post some pictures too on our Instagram. So definitely give us a follow on Instagram at Just Goalie Things Podcast. Um, Also, Queen Victoria made a few minor changes to the castle, which became the center for royal entertainment for much of her reign. Windsor Castle was used as a refuge by the royal family um, during bombing campaigns of the Second World War, and it survived a fire in 1992. So a lot of history behind this Windsor Castle, and it today is a popular tourist attraction. It's a venue for hosting state visits and is the preferred weekend home of Queen Elizabeth II. Wow. Yeah, and I think... Imagine that being your weekend home. Like, my weekend home is my parents' house. But, uh, no, seriously, it, and I think Windsor Palace, I think I think the Windsor Cal- Castle was where Queen Elizabeth stayed during COVID, if I'm not mistaken. Like, that was, like, her place to stay during lockdown. I think so. Imagine. You could fact check me if you guys know differently, but I'm pretty sure that's where she stayed. I think I read an article on that. But... Anyway, on to the ghost stuff. So, get this. As many as 25 ghosts have been reported at the Windsor Castle. And in particular, yeah, there's a shit ton of ghosts there. In particular, Queen Elizabeth II and her sister Margaret claim to have seen Elizabeth I. Elizabeth I, who died in 1603, returns occasionally near the library, sometimes disappearing in another room. She's apparently a bit notorious for appearing to members of the royal family. And the 18th century, King George III himself, now a spirit of Windsor. King Edward VII, son of Queen Victoria, also claimed to have seen a similar ghost. Um, though in keeping with his rather scandalous nature, Edward confided in this encounter with one of his mistresses, very on brand. These families are as very um, sophisticated as they are, are very messy, by the way. This was like yeah. a lot of mistresses, a lot of incest, a lot of like, I don't know, yuck. We Couldn't love be. to see it. Be messy. Be like <laughs> the Panera by my job. The tea time is real. Elizabeth I appeared to the father of Elizabeth II for eight straight nights. And given that World War II was just about to break out in a conflict that would see the region bombed over and over, it could be that the first Queen Elizabeth appeared as a kind of ghostly royal warning to the family. Um, so that's a possible theory that she was kind of used as a, as a um, an omen or a sign. To hey, heads up, something's going on. You better you better bunker down. And then in the 17th century, a ghost appeared to an officer at the Windsor Castle, and per the quote selected essays of Henry Fielding, end quote. The ghost predicted his son's death and told the officer to warn his son. But this wasn't any old ghost with a warning for some person that's now lost to history. This was supposedly the dead Sir George Villiers, 
who was instantly recognizable to the man that this happened to. The officer seemed to have taken it seriously enough after multiple encounters and so told the dead man's son, who was greatly disturbed by the story. His son was also George Villiers, the first Duke of Buckingham, who was King James I's favorite, and in, as in really his favorite, to the point where modern historians are still debating if the Duke of Buckingham and King James I were romantically entangled. But regardless of whether or not Buckingham was in, <gasps> in, a, in a relationship with the king, they were so close as to inspire both jealousy and reported bad behavior from George, who wasn't shy about flaunting his power. The ghostly father of the Duke of Buckingham may not have cared or known about all that, but it was also unsuccessful. The Duke would be assassinated anyway in 1629. So with all those warnings, kind of seemed like just fate took its toll and happened okay. anyway. So the ghost of Henry VIII has also been said to mope around the castle. And given that his remains are buried in St. George's Chapel on the castle grounds itself, it may come as no surprise that many accounts maintain that King Henry still makes a visit from time to time. The return spirit of Henry VIII doesn't appear to be especially happy one. Um, it claims that he's been spotted walking around the castle, though his disembodied moaning and yelling is more often reported in the nearby cloisters of the castle. Some have also said that they hear Henry dragging his leg, which is understandable since the king spent a fair amount of his final years with an ulcerated leg that never quite healed. Um, Additionally, his steadily declining physical health caused Henry great pain, and if the stories of his spirit at Windsor are to be believed, may still be tormenting him even after his death, which sounds absolutely tragic. Like, I would not want to be a ghost that's still in pain that I was in when I was living. I mean, like, me neither, but I did some research on King Henry VIII for my story, and, like, he is garbage. He was the one who would, like, decapitate wives for not giving him sons. Yeah, okay, now I really don't feel as bad. Never mind. His spirit can rot. Anyway, um, <laughs> Henry VIII's second wife, Anne Boylan, is sometimes spotted by people who see her looking sadly out of a window of the Dean Cloister at Windsor, where she's also occasionally seen to be weeping. Given that, like you were uh, alluding to, that Henry had executed her in 1536, one understands why she's so down in the dumps, especially if her spirit has to encounter the ghost of her husband who pretty much set her up to be killed. Um, it's said that Anne's ghost really gets around. Um, and according to Haunted Rooms, which is another source, her specter not only appears at Windsor Castle, but at Heber Castle, Marwell Hall, and the infamous Tower of London, where she was in fact beheaded. Um, the most lurid tales of Anne Boylan's ghost seems to center on Blickling Hall on the site of her birthplace in Norfolk, England. Um, apparently, her headless ghost decides to be uh, pulled up to the manor house on May 19th, the anniversary of her execution. She arrives at night, of course. And uh, just for a little extra touch of spooky kookiness, her carriage um, is apparently conducted by a fellow headless figure. Uh, other local legends connect the news of her death with the sighting of four ghostly horses. And yes, you guessed it those horses are missing their heads as well. Um, as if one headless royal wasn't enough, though, it's said that the Windsor Castle is actually haunted by two of them. So there's Anne Boylan, and then um, apparently she's joined by the ghost of Charles I. 
Charles I was the first king of Great Britain in Ireland, reigning from 1625 until January 30th, 1649. Now, according to the College of St. George, the ghost of Charles I may still be spotted walking through the chapel cloisters, though thankfully with his, dead, with his dead head still attached to his spectral shoulders. That may not be entirely surprising to some, given that the king's mortal remains are interred right there in the chapel itself. He may range a little further afield as Royal Central reports that he's also been spotted at the Windsor Castle's library. Ooh. Um, and then we have the spirit of George III, who may be seen staring out of a window. So per history.com, George III reigned for nearly 60 years, making him one of the longest reigning monarchs in British history. Yet his rule, which lasted from 1760 until his death in 1820, was marred by progressively intense episodes of mental illness beginning in 1778, which frequently left the king incoherent and unable to rule. So eventually his son, the future George IV, became the prince regent and ruled in his steed. So during his periods of instability, George was typically confined to a given space within a castle. And according to British folklore, that's where something, something of the king had remained at Windsor Castle. It said that he would sometimes look out the windows there and when guards saw him, they would salute and he would raise his hand in return. He apparently kept doing this after his death. Royal Central maintains that a group of guards automatically saluted the king as he looked out the window, even though it was a few days after George's death and his remains were already lying in state at the castle. Uh, okay, another one is one 19th century visitor had a chilling encounter with, get this, an unusual set of statues. Sure, it may seem a bit silly, but try and tell that to one visitor in 1873 who claimed to have an incredibly eerie encounter on the grounds of the royal residence. So as BBC uh, accounts, the visitor in question was taking a nighttime walk around the grounds of Windsor. Now, remember, this was the 19th century and an hour where you could potentially do that sort of thing and not get tackled to the ground by a guard. So it wasn't seen as bizarre. While wandering near St. George's Chapel, the visitor spotted a new group of statues that had been placed nearby. It consisted of four figures, with one bent near the ground and the other three standing. All were clad in black. Most alarmingly, one of the standing figures had a sword raised in one hand as if it were about to fall and perhaps hit the crouching figure. Naturally enough, the visitor asked a nearby guard about the dramatic and rather odd set of statues, but the guard had no idea that any statues had been erected on the grounds. And even worse, when the visitor returned in the light of day, the unnerving, unnerving artwork was nowhere to be found. Hmm. Okay, yeah, that's pretty fucking weird. Yeah. It's like yeah. night at the museum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very weird. I don't know what the connection was, who those four beings were, what the, what they were trying to, uh, what message they were trying to give out or some sort of warning. I have no idea. So uh, on that note, that concludes my research on the ghosts and the spooky kooky happenings that happen at Windsor Castle. Ooh. I want to visit Windsor Castle, not even for the history, just the haunted history of this place. Yeah. Because I, I figured there'd be a few ghosts that were seen there. But when I did my research and I saw that there was about 25 spirits that supposedly roamed the premise, I was like, mm -hmm. okay, this is pretty fucking cool. I have to look into this a little more. So uh, You definitely got like the most interesting one. I was very, so I honestly was really surprised that I found as much evidence as I did, as much uh, encounters that I did, because I did not think, I don't know. I just feel like, especially at the Windsor Castle, where with the royal family, everything is so secretive, right? Like, 
they only put out there that what yeah. they want you to know. So to find out all this yeah. about spirits, I found that very intriguing. So God only knows what like what more happens there that they don't talk about. Yeah, I feel like the um like old royalty definitely invented the social media method of only posting the good shit. So everyone thinks you're perfect. Okay, so my research, funny, um, it's funny that we were talking so much about King Henry VIII because my research, so my mom watches the show called Secrets of Great British Castles or Ancient British Castles or whatever. It's on like BBC or something, History Channel maybe. And basically when I told her, so originally our idea was for me to do Buckingham Palace, mm-hmm. but I like couldn't find anything on it. seems like all the shit went down at Windsor, right? So I look up Buckingham Palace and I found like, one article I searched, I did everything. I even resorted, of course, to good old, good old Reddit. Right. And I searched like Buckingham haunted experience. And there was like nothing like a video that was clearly fake. So like, I was like, okay, like not that I look up, like I tried rephrasing everything. All I could find, I thought I found something, Rebecca. I was so excited. It was called like things you don't know about Buckingham palace. And I searched Buckingham palace haunted or something like that. Like something simple. So I was like, here we go. Here's what I'm going to read. And it was just like, there's 86 undiscovered rooms. And like, that was the article or like a couple hundred or something. And I was like, that's great. What about the ghosts? And I couldn't find anything. Ah. I know I'm doing like control F spirit. I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking for the word ghost, the word haunt. I couldn't find any, anything substantial. That's very disappointing. So this is where Amy comes in. I love Amy. And I'm like, you know, What's with the castle shows? What can you tell me? And she was like, easy Hampton Court Palace. And of course, my dumbass is like, well, what's that? And it was um, one of the palaces of King Henry VIII, which I know we just talked about a lot. And he had kind of a banana's life. So I do want to talk a little bit about him first. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, there are a lot of... um, ghosts, spirits, allegedly at the palace, but I did want to focus on Henry VIII. So um, really quick, I just wanted to get some background information on um, Henry VIII. So he was born on June 28th, 1491, and he only lived until 1547. But in that brief time, I mean, he he got a lot done. So, of course, he was he was born at the Palace of Placentia, Placentia, oh. um, in Greenwich in Kent, England, and he passed away in London, England, and was buried at St George's Chapel on Windsor Castle territory in Berkshire. Mm-hmm. So. A little backstory. Um, let's see. He was king of England from April 22nd of 1509, coronated on June 24th of that same year, and he passed away in 1547. And he is best known for his six marriages, including his efforts to have his first marriage to Saint to Catherine of Oregon annulled. His disagreement with Pope Clement VII about such an annulled led to Henry to initiate what they called the English Reformation, separating the Church of England from papal authority. And the Church of England 
right? This is very, very interesting. Basically, this was started because like he wanted an annulment. He wanted divorces. And they were just like, yeah, no, you can't. You can't do that. It's against God's will. Um, and I believe it was because... Um, I believe... Now, I could be wrong. It was because Catherine of Aragon had been previously married and I think her husband passed away, something like that. He was excommunicated for dissolving convents and monasteries. So he had this big English Reformation, which is fascinating enough in and of itself, Mm -hmm. right? It caused a whole bunch of things like religious freedom and everything. And a lot of people, you know, that's when people started coming over to the U.S., I believe. So all this stuff. So domestically, he is known for his radical changes to the English Constitution, ushering in the theory of divine, the divine right of kings, right? Um, he greatly expanded royal power during his reign. He frequently used charges of treason and heresy to quell dissent, and those accused were often executed without a formal trial, and he achieved many of his political aims through the work of his chief ministers, some of whom were banished or executed when they fell out of his favor. So he was also an extravagant spender. I mean, this guy was, honestly, he also reminds me a little bit of my grandfather, right? Just like, listen to me or you're going to go. I'm going to get married a bunch of times, all that stuff. So I want to go into a little bit of his marriages and everything, because that's really why so many people are fascinated in him, right? And the old saying is, you know, he wanted these sons, and if they didn't give him sons, he would execute them. But that's not necessarily the case. So a few of his wives actually did pass away, right? And he was married to the following women. Anne Boleyn, right, who we spoke Mm of. Um, That was his second marriage. The first was Catherine of Aragon, but he actually conducted an affair with Mary Boleyn, who was Catherine's lady-in-waiting. Then he married Anne Boleyn. And then he executed Anne Boleyn, or she was executed, right? And then he was married to Jane Seymour, Anne of Cleves, Catherine Howard, and Catherine Parr. So there was a lot going on. I mean, this guy lived lived a long life. So now I want to go a bit into his children. Okay. So he had... Some legitimate children, some illegitimate children. So I want to go to this article from rmg.com, which is Royal Museum's Greenwich. So he is possibly the most famous king of England, known both for his six wives and the splitting of the church. And he had several children from different women, but only three were legitimate and survived past infancy. These were King Edward VI, who was his successor, Queen Mary I, and Queen Elizabeth I. Many others were born illegitimately, and only one of these was ever fully recognized, Henry Fitzroy, which I find Fitzroy interesting because Fitz is actually, I believe, Irish or and or Scottish prefix representing son of. Okay. Right? That's something that I read a while ago. So Edward VI, born on October 12th, 1537, was his first surviving and only legitimate son 
and the heir to the throne. Henry described him as, quote, his most noble and most precious jewel. And his mother was Jane Seymour, who was King Henry VIII's third wife, and she died shortly after his birth from postnatal complications. So, like, he got the son, but she passed away. Okay. Now, by... February 1553, Edward did come become ill, fearing that his death would result in Mary I reversing the Reformation and taking Britain back to Catholicism. He wrote his device for, device for Succession, and in this, Edward disowned his sisters and outlined his plan to pass the reign to his cousin, Lady Jane Grey, and he was defeated by his illness on July 6th, 1553, at only age 15. And then we have Mary I. So before Queen Mary I, or Mary Tudor, was born Catherine of Aragon, um, who gave the king three sons and a daughter who never survived infancy. Mary Tudor was born um, on February 18th, 1516, and was favored by by Henry VIII until her mother, Catherine of Aragon, was unable to produce a male heir. Uh. So after the divorce and the split from the Roman Catholic Church, Mary Tudor fell out of favor and was reduced from a princess to a lady. Mm -hmm. So she became a focus for Catholic opposition to her brother and his Protestant followers after King Henry VIII's death. So this is why when I tell you my mother's obsessed with like the history of religion and Royalty is because a lot of, I mean, this thing went hand in hand, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have Elizabeth I. So she was born on September 7th, 1533, and her mother, Anne Boleyn, was Henry VIII's second wife, and she was beheaded two and a half years after Elizabeth's birth. During her sister's reign, she was imprisoned in the Tower of London for allegedly plotting with the Protestants. She was spared from execution due to her supporters in government. But after his, her sister's death and lack of an heir, she became queen on 17th of November, 1558, age 25. And in terms of religion, Elizabeth I was more practical and quickly passed laws that moved the country back to Protestantism, but were not as strict as her sisters or brothers. And the nickname the Virgin Queen has been applied to her due to the fact that she never married or had any children. Good for her to run that place on her own. While there were many suitors, none of them seemed to be the right fit for her. Relatable. <laughs> so now I want to go in a little bit to Henry Fitzroy and Henry VIII's illegitimate children. What Henry bothers VIII, me is that they all have the same fucking names. Like, you can't any creative. It's, it's very confusing. So Henry VIII had many suspected illegitimate children, but only acknowledged one who was Henry Fitzroy, the first Duke of Richmond and Somerset, and he was born on June 15th of 1519. His mother was Elizabeth, Elizabeth Blount, um, the lady-in-waiting for drumroll, <laughs> Catherine of Aragon, his first wife. Ah... But he was born in secret, and his arrival was unmarked by most of the nation. Henry VIII threw discretion aside and acknowledged his son, giving him the surname Fitzroy due to his feeling that a lack of male heir 
was a slight on his manhood. So there, I mean, there's a lot, right? He was appointed Loy High Lord High Admiral of England and Lord President of the Council of the North, effectively placing the North under his control. However, throughout Henry VIII's reign, he was never the successor to the throne, right? Because again, basically, as far as bloodlines go, his mother was only a lady in waiting. Yeah. Right? She wasn't. Uh, I mean, you look at someone like, I mean, Princess Diana was a lady, right? She at first was lady, they call her Lady Dot, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a little thing. I mean, it's confusing, right? I mean, I feel like it's mostly confusing for people not from England, or at least more confusing how it works and how it operates. I want to go a little bit into the history of Hampton Court. It was originally built for Thomas Wolsey, who was a favorite of King Henry VIII and Hampton Court Palace, was then passed to the king who extended it. There was a massive rebuilding and expansion. However, it was halted in 1694, thus giving the palace two different architectural styles. And I find this fascinating, right? One is domestic Tudor and the other is Baroque. Now, I don't know if anyone cares about the history of these things like Tudor versus Baroque. I mean, different types of generations, different periods in time. Even things like music have changed by then. So... The use of pink bricks gives the palace a a unifying look. Today, oh, and this is hauntedrooms.co.uk, which I believe I've used before. Yes. So today, the palace is open to the public and is one of the country's most popular attractions. It receives no funding from the government or crown, and it is cared for by the historic royal palaces and independent charity. And then a brief history on the other royalty who lived there. Um, William III and Mary II took the throne in 1689, and they commissioned Christopher Wren to build an elegant new Baroque palace. And later, Georgian kings and princes occupied the splendid interiors. When the royals left in 1737, Queen Victoria opened the palace to the public in 1838, and it has remained a magnet for millions of visitors drawn to the grandeur, the ghosts, and the fabulous art collection. Now, speaking of ghosts, let's kind of go into that. So the palace hold unhappy memories, mainly from Henry. His third queen, Jane Seymour, died giving the king a longed-for son, Edward. Of course, later named Edward VI. And it is said her ghost, a, quote, white wraith, appears on the anniversary of her death. Of course. Henry's, yeah, and his fifth wife, Catherine Howard was arrested here and later executed at the tower for both adultery and treason, right? Mm -hmm. And it's said that her ghostly appearance still screams for mercy along the corridors of the palace. So, I mean, I don't know, honestly, what else to say besides that there is a lot here. Yeah, there's a lot to, there's a lot of context and like what makes sense of why there would be paranormal hauntings there. Exactly. So the ghost of Catherine um, is reported to often visit the palaces. They call it the haunted gallery. So what happened when she was arrested and accused of adultery and everything, she was put on house arrest there. Mm -hmm. But she escaped from her guards and ran down to the gallery, but she was dragged back to her room screaming. So 
She was executed in the Tower of London, but guests and staff at the palace have reported hearing her scream specifically from that gallery, which she ran to. And an interesting fact, one evening in 1999, during different tours of the palace, two female visitors fainted in exactly the same spot in the exact same gallery where the screams of Catherine have been heard. There's also Sybil Penn, who is also known as the Grey Lady of Hampton Court. She's another one of the many ghosts. Several sightings of the Grey Lady have been reported in various areas of the castle. She was a servant to the Tudor monarchs of the house and a nurse to Prince Edward, as well as Elizabeth I. She cared for the future queen while she was sick with smallpox, only to die later of this disease. And the first sightings of her specter began in 1829, when her tomb was moved. And as we know, things like moving bodies and also, I mean, doing construction, right? Building this new Baroque addition to the castle, right? That can move up and kind of instigate a lot of paranormal activity. Definitely. Yeah, so of course, they, they disturb her tomb by moving it. And several strange noises were reported. Some say that they can hear a spinning wheel constantly throughout the court. A search in the palace revealed an antique spinning wheel. Now, whether this is a coincidence or not, obviously no one can confirm. But some of the places she continuously haunts are the clock fort and the state apartments. Now, there was allegedly a ghostly figure captured on CCTV and has since been called Skeletor, and it has been reported worldwide. The image was captured in the winter of 2003 while security staff reviewed CCTV footage. Um, They allegedly saw that on the first day, doors swung wide open with so much force, but nothing can be seen, which could have caused an occurrence. And I will post a link to this article with this video, I mean, it's kind of sus. I'm not going to lie. And that's why they do obviously say allegedly. Yes. <laughs> but on the second day, doors swung wide open again. And this time a ghostly figure can be seen, which many believe to be the ghost of Henry VIII. But many people have since named it Skeletor, obviously. And on the, thir- the third day, the doors swung again. But nothing was seen this time. And it was not just the security staff who reported seeing something strange. A visitor wrote on the palace's visitor book that she thought she had also seen an apparition of a large man near the same doors. And on the website for the palace, you can you can read like visitor accounts. I'm sure there's some online and everything. Mm-hmm. But what I found was an article on Insider with five eerie stories about the former royal home. And these do go a little bit more into detail. So I'm very, very excited, right? I'm ready. So I know we spoke about Jane Seymour. She died inside the palace after giving birth in 1537. And she is said to appear on her son's birthday. So according to historic royal palaces, which I did also get some things from, Um, The charity, this is the charity that manages Hampton Court. And they say she's been seen spotted carrying a lit candle on something called the Silver Stick Stairs. Mm -hmm. The staircase is located close by to the room where she gave birth to Prince Edward and died soon after. We have more information on the Grey Lady. Mm -hmm. So she is 
believed to have died in there. And they usually see her. Um, she was a nurse to Edward VI and young Queen Elizabeth I. And this is mostly just a reiteration of what they've seen around. Okay. Right. We have a very beautiful illustration here from Getty Images, which I will link. And I'm going to put this on the Facebook group. Rebecca, what's it called again? Just Glee Things Podcast Group. Visitors have have reported hearing her screams in the hall all over. Um, But mostly, of course, in the haunted gallery. Now listen to this. An elderly woman reported hearing banging on the walls of her apartment before human remains were discovered nearby in shallow graves at the palace. So this is kind of the best one, right? Like, am I the only one who loves this? So according to historic royal palaces, the graves were found in 1871 during a routine excavation of a cloister in Fountain Court. The bodies were believed to belong to two men who were killed during the Civil War in the 17th century. After they were properly buried, the disturbances reportedly stopped. Wow. Yes. That's pretty wild because I feel like we've talked about this a lot on this episode of a lot of these hauntings, when looking back on it, led to a lot of kind of warnings or messages. Right? Exactly. Very intelligent. Like, they were like, yeah, I'm going to die, but not for no reason. I have a mission, and I need to complete this mission before I can pass on to the other side. So if I ever see a ghost, basically, I'm just going to hit them with the Cardi B. What was the reason? (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, it talks a little more about that classic Skeletor ghost, which seems almost like something with maybe like a kind of a... You know how they call them like cult followings, where it's obviously not like a cult cult, but it's like people really into it? Yeah. So no one has been able to find anyone to come forward claiming it as a prank, but nobody knows if it's the work of a human or a real life ghost. Now, obviously to me, like I do want us to be considered a valid source, right? I mean, we do our research. Rebecca does a shit ton more than I do. And I have to say from my point of view, parts of the video do look fake, but at the same time, like in 2003, some of the shit was hard to kind of fake and get away with. But at yeah. the same time, video quality, especially CCTV, which is still not great in 2021, you yeah. know, might have been might have been a little different. So this really, that's all that I was able to find on this that was kind of short and sweet, you know, and not long monologues or, you know, like dull things. Mm-hmm. So that was... That's what I found. And I do want to say, I mean, clearly there was a lot of activity here, right? We have women who, you know, found, you know, like women dying there or women who were living there who suddenly passed away, were executed, whatever. And this Mm -hmm. is their home. So it might be residual hauntings, right? I mean, think about the woman who was screaming after trying to escape house arrest. That was probably the most, one of the most traumatic moments in her life. She might be stuck there. That might be what she remembers, right? And maybe, maybe it is a way to say, you know, kind of non, make sure there's no romanticism on the old royal families because there's a lot of corruption there. Yes. And I find it interesting though, that a lot of these reports Um, and accounts, especially the ones we find truly, or at least I find very, very, like, uh, what do they call it? Like valid and trustworthy resources are in King Henry VIII. Uh And they see a lot of him 
at Windsor. Interesting. Right? So there is an entanglement there. So again, I mean, I, I can't say enough how much royalty does fascinate me. This might become my new hobby, not the reading part, but the asking my mom questions so she can answer part. Well, I think um, the truth always comes out. And I do find it interesting in a family like the royal family yeah. where there's just years and years of history. And history can be molded and shaped to seem a certain way. Um, depending on who is teaching it. And it's kind of like a game of telephone, um, especially yeah. when they're trying to like push a certain narrative or a certain agenda. So I think that these spirits- And especially since there's, it's hard to find, you know, a, you know, you remember learning about primary sources in like seventh grade library class. Yes. You know, even that, I mean, think about it. They're executing people left and right. People might've been scared. I mean, I know that happens here a lot, right? With people in Definitely. power and- politics and celebrities and shit like they are scared to come out and tell the truth mostly because they don't want to get canceled or lose followers not murdered yeah um, <laughs> right so these so this is obviously not an old historic thing this this kind of stuff does still exist but it was a lot easier to hide back then yeah you know yeah. someone writes it down and then it gets burned you know thrown into a river fucking you know 600 years ago uh yeah it's it, there are there are some like that series is called unsolved mysteries of british castles i so think, i i think that the truth always comes out and i think mm -hmm. that especially in a family like this it may just have to come out through the other side yeah i i think that's great and i also and I, I would like to place a call to action. If any of our booth things are listening and either you or any of your friends have gone to any, not just these, any royal castles or, you know, royal hotspots, anything like that, and experience something, or if you know someone who went and they might have, please email us, justghoulythinkspodcast at gmail.com. And that could be a whole spinoff episode. And I don't know about you, Rebecca, but... I would be fascinated to hear these firsthand accounts of just regular people, non-historians. Oh, hell yeah. And I mean, we might as well put it out there since we have listeners from all over. If mm -hmm. you know somebody or you're a part of the royal family, like deep, deep, deep in the bloodline, I mean, mm -hmm. you totally just email us anything you know at... <laughs> podcast at gmail.com. We'll keep you anonymous. If you so wish. If you so wish, yes. <laughs> But uh, on that note, I feel like that concludes this very extensive episode of Just Schooly Things. That was a lot of information. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of information to take in. It was. It's like a fun hi <gasps> history mystery. That's the title of the episode. <gasps> yes. Okay. We got the title. All right. You guys heard it here. History the, mystery. The episode's officially complete. Well, on that note, guys, thank you so much for listening, Boo Things. And without further ado, Lily, uh, you ready to shout out some socials? Yes. All right. You can follow us on Instagram at Just Coolie Things Podcast. Send uh, us your spooky kooky ooky. Perhaps I saw a spirit at Buckingham Palace pics. Yes. Uh, personal Instagrams at Rebecca Ruber and at Lily Baldessari. Twitter. JGT Podcast. Facebook like page. Just Coolie Things Podcast, where we will be posting our sources. Facebook private group where we will be posting images. Oh, oh Just Bully Things podcast. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of important. But uh, anyway, uh, 
donate to our Patreon. Just Coolie Things Podcast. Buy our merch at just, uh, tpublic.com by searching Just Coolie Things Podcast or rebeccaruber.com slash shop. And if you or someone you know has a paranormal experience that they'd like to share on our show, doesn't just have to be haunted royalty, you can totally email us at justcoolythingspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, Boo Thangs, and we will talk to Boo next week. Goodbye. Alex Knight, the world's foremost authority on Bigfoot research, heads to Canada to investigate a profoundly incredible Bigfoot encounter. His daughter, Sydney, eagerly joins the expedition. Accompanied by reluctant Toronto television hostess Amira Ali, Sid and her father's team adventure north in pursuit of the legendary Sasquatch. Prophecy from a forgotten Algonquin tribe and a mystical calling deeply connects Sydney to the creature. The revelation of unknown truths ensures that Sydney will never see the forest or herself the same again. Get your copy of James Allen Ross's Spirit of the Woods, the story of a young woman's encounter with Bigfoot. Now for the price of $9.99 paperback and $0.99 on Kindle. Available on Amazon now.